following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. i speak with you today, um, but before I do that, I want to make sure that I dismiss our junior high, middle schoolers, and high schoolers out to Canyon Ridge Youth. Go out through those double doors and go to the Paradise Room with Nick. A lot of you guys heading out that way. Uh, enjoy yourself. And one more thing before we get started, I also want to just put my plug in there for community groups. Uh, we talked about those earlier. I'm going to talk about them again just and say, if you haven't done it before, make this your time, okay? Don't leave this place today before you have signed up for a community group. You know, uh, try it out. Yep, it's, uh, it may be a new thing. It may be a different thing. You might meet people and things like that. Um, but I believe it's really an important thing that we do. It's a way we connect. It's an a-, a way we grow in our faith. It's a way we apply what we learn here. Um, so don't leave before you do that, okay? There's signups right out there in the lobby to remind you on your way out. Um, take the risk. Do it and see what God does in your life. And if he does nothing in your life, let me know. I'd like to talk to you about that. Uh, but I think he will. I think he will. So let's go to God in a quick word of prayer, and then we'll get to the message today. Father God, thank you for being here with us today. Uh, We know that you've got some important things that you want to accomplish in us, some things you want to speak to us about, Lord. And uh, your word is so powerful and so, uh, so incredible for using and transforming lives, Lord. We pray that we might be a part of that this morning, that our lives might be open to receive these words and to be transformed by them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this is it. Today is the last message in our series that we've been doing titled, I Don't Know What I Believe. For the last couple of months, we've been looking at this idea that's very possible for us to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe that the Bible is God's word, and even be a regular part of church, but we can still miss out on some of the fundamental understanding of how that's supposed to show up in our lives we can be, believe that you know, God is big and powerful, that he created the universe. He sent his son, Jesus, to earth to die for us, to be raised for the dead, from the dead for us. Sometimes we can embrace all of that and still not understand the importance of our relationship with God or the fact that he is actively working to produce a new identity in us. We might put God first by showing up here to worship God, but just never establish a life patterned after and filled with the teaching found in His Word. We might readily admit that God is good, but not understand how that is still true and how we're called to respond in those times when God doesn't come through for us in the way that we think He should. We might say that we've given our lives to Christ, but do we really know what that means? In this series, we've been trying to unpack those kinds of questions. To do so, we've been taking our, our lead each week from a chapter in 2 Timothy, the book 2 Timothy, chapter 1 um, and verses four, 6 through 14. Essentially, this is the, the opening page of the last letter written by the Apostle Paul shortly before Paul would be executed for his faith. He's writing to Timothy, who was a young pastor who Paul had mentored and raised up into the job. Now, Timothy's not just like, you know, Paul's pen pal, a guy he writes to overseas. Hey, how's it going, man? Just want to check in. What's going on over there? No, he's this, he's this young leader in a struggle for the gospel. 
fighting for the truth in a church where false teachers are rising up, challenging his authority, threatening to divide God's people through lies. So Timothy needs more than just a, you know, just a reminder that God is good and God loves him, right? And he certainly doesn't need some made-up platitudes from Paul. Hey, you know, just wait. Everything's going to be okay. So Paul doesn't give him that. Instead, Paul tells him to dig in. He tells him to go deeper in his faith and to remember some of these key truths that he is going to need to know in harder times. For this last week of the series, we will start with 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. So into the chaos of Timothy's life, Paul writes something to pick him up, something to straighten his back and remind him, don't forget what's really going on behind the scenes here. And so he writes this, he says, for the spirit God gave you, gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, gives us love and self-discipline. Now, maybe you've heard those words before. Uh, they're great. I mean, these words preach really well, right? That, that, this is a coach getting his team fired up. This is a preacher getting his congregation fired up. Uh, you know, look, whatever's coming against you, they ain't got nothing on you. You got the God of the universe inside of you, you know? You can be bold, dangerous, powerful. You are loved with an infinite love, accepted on an eternal scale. No one else can take that away from you. Oh, you've got a spirit of love, you've got a spirit of power, and your mind can also be at peace when the world seems to be falling apart because you have a spirit of self-discipline in you. Well, amen to all of that, right? I mean, that's a good word. Who wouldn't want God himself to provide them with more power, more love, more peace of mind? And it absolutely is what God can and will do for those of us who rely on him. And so you've probably heard that part of the passage before. Heck, I'll bet you there's probably a few of you in here in this room today who have that verse memorized. But for some reason, no one memorizes the next verse. All right, bold, empowered, loved, spirit-filled person with God inside of you, what comes next? What comes next is verse 8. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, rather... Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Hmm. Yep, I've never seen that one on a coffee mug. I mean, the first part of that verse is okay, right? Verse 8, first part's all right. Hey, Timothy, be bold in the spirit. Don't be ashamed. Okay, cool. Don't be ashamed of either Jesus or Paul. I mean, they were arrested and they were killed for their faith, but it glorified God. I mean, that part makes sense, but the last part of that verse should wake you up. Do you see what Paul is instructing Timothy to do? Since Timothy has the Spirit living in him, since Timothy is full of power and God's love, since Timothy can choose the things that are right and good even in the midst of difficult times... What is Paul inviting him to do? Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It's not what I would expect. Uh, maybe join with me to defeat those who oppose us, or, or, or join with me in outsmarting the liars, or, or, or maybe join with me in some front row seats as we call down fire from heaven and we watch God take care of his enemies. But he doesn't say any of those. No, he says, you're full of the Spirit. You're full of power, love, and self-discipline that only God can give. 
join me in suffering. Hey, maybe you can die too. Well, let's just admit it. We don't get this. <laughs> we, this, is, this is foreign to us, right? I mean, I checked, uh, and this is not something we invite people to. Uh, if you go online to evites.com and you search for, show me invitations for suffering, zero results pop up. You really do. I'm not just saying that. I checked. Zero results. Ask around and, and you'll see. Uh, you know, I'll make a prediction. If you go around and ask people, would you like more suffering in your life or less suffering in your life? Two things are going to happen. First of all, everyone's going to say less. And second of all, everyone is going to think you are a weirdo for even asking the question. I mean, in our world today, most people have already got their minds made up on this. Suffering itself is viewed as an evil. It is often to be avoided, even at great cost. If it gets me out of more suffering, I'll do it. I mean, if something causes pain, uh, we need a drug, we need a remedy, we need some alternative to save us. If something inflicts great financial cost, uh, we're looking for a credit card or a loan or, or a winning lottery ticket to, to take that cost away. If something requires hard, back-breaking labor or, or long, laborious, brain-intensive work, we're always building newer and better machines and computers and robots and technologies to relieve us from that kind of suffering. And if something causes grief or spiritual distress or something brings us to despair, isn't God supposed to take care of that for us? I mean, isn't suffering the enemy? Isn't it the thing that we should be fighting against? Isn't it the opposite of the faith, hope, and love that we can find in Jesus Christ? If so, then why is it here in this passage we're looking at today as an invitation? Join with me in suffering. Do it voluntarily. Do it on purpose. Suffer for your faith. And no doubt, the topic of suffering, it's one of the most difficult subjects we can encounter. Because if, even, if, even if we had all the greatest answers in the world about why we suffer, how to get through suffering, what's God doing when we're suffering, none of those answers makes suffering not suffering. In fact, I would argue that God's Word sheds some incredible light on suffering. I'd say it gives more and better answers than any other source, but it doesn't erase suffering. It doesn't promise us that God's people will never suffer. It doesn't even explain what God is up to all the time when we are suffering. Suffering is a part of our fallen world, and God's Word fully acknowledges that. And it tells the truth about it. But the question is, will we listen? Or do we already know what we want to hear? As we saw earlier, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, you know, there's this invitation to suffer for the gospel. And it's been there for thousands of years. It's been there just as long as verse 7. The one that encourages us, is about, encourages us about God's Spirit living in us. I mean, verse 7, people memorize it, they quote it, they preach it, they, they do put it on copy mugs. There's plenty. Look on Amazon. Verse 8, though, 
What does verse 8 say again? (laughs) Well, it, it points to some of God's truth about suffering, that some suffering is not wholly evil, but is an expected part of our journey with him. But will we have the ears to listen to that? So today I want to unpack just some of this topic. Again, God's word has more and better answers than we will find anywhere else, but we could easily do a whole teaching series looking at those questions and those answers. So today what I want to focus on is what God's word says about the suffering that we choose. We're not going to talk about the suffering that just happens to choose us. There's a lot to say about that, but today we're just going to talk about the suffering when we do have a choice. I want us to know what we really believe about suffering, the fact that there is so very often choice involved. After all, if we are followers of Christ, then the same thing Paul told Timothy is true of us. God's Spirit is in us, full of power, full of love, full of self-discipline. Therefore, we too also have some choices to make about suffering. And the first choice our Lord would tell us to make is this. Don't choose to suffer unnecessarily. Don't choose to suffer unnecessarily. Now, I know I set you all up, right? We got the passage from 2 Timothy that literally invites suffering. But I think we've got to start here. We've got to know that God loves us and doesn't get a kick out of suffering. He doesn't get a kick out of our suffering or anybody else's for that matter. Jesus is constantly encouraging us about his purpose for us. His yoke is easy. His burden is light, he tells us. He tells us that our enemy is here to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy loves suffering. But Jesus is here to bring life so that we can have it and not only have it but have the fullest life possible. He calls people who are weary and broken down from all the suffering that they've already had and says, I'm here to give you rest. We've got to start here. So when we begin a conversation on what God's word teaches us about suffering, we need to start with this idea that there are a lot of ways that God never asks us or wants us to suffer. In the letter to the church at Colossae, Paul addresses the fact that God isn't impressed with all the ideas that we can come up with about how we can make ourselves suffer for him. Paul writes to this group of, or he writes about a group of people who decided, you know, they were more holy than the rest of the world because their world was harder than everybody else's. Their rules were harder. They had strict rules about don't eat any of these great things, don't drink this, Then they had rules about their rituals, and they said, our rituals are going to be stricter and harder and more often than anybody else's. you got to practice them every so often and every so many times, and if you don't, well, you're not one of us. Here's what Paul had to say about that. He said, these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He says, look, I see what these people are trying to do, 
Uh, you know, they want us to think that God is especially proud of them. You know, they're suffering for Him even when they don't have to. They want us to know that they are going above and beyond what God has asked them to do. Well, here's the truth. <laughs> Straight from the Holy Spirit, inspired in the Scripture, the Bible tells us that suffering for God that God never asked for or inspired us to do is useless. It says it right there. This is a human thing, and it lacks any value. Don't choose to suffer unnecessarily. In fact, I would argue that God's Word spends a whole lot of time teaching us to identify and rid ourselves from two things in particular that are huge causes of unnecessary suffering. Let's look at them briefly this morning. Two sources of unnecessary suffering. This is where so much of this stuff comes from. And the first one is this, foolishness. Oh, and God's Word has a ton to say about foolishness. The entire book of Proverbs, 31 chapters, was written to prevent foolishness and replace it with its opposite, wisdom. The entire book of Ecclesiastes is a desperate cry for us to not choose the same foolishness of pursuing meaningless things that its author had, but instead to accept the wisdom that this person writing who had been loaded down with so many regrets, accept the wisdom that that person learns and pursue things that have meaning and are of value to God. God gives us a wide variety of other teachings throughout the Scripture as well. I mean, two full books and many other teachings throughout Scripture that point us in this same way, that say, you have a choice. It's all up to us if we will go with wisdom or with foolishness. Here's what they both look like. Make the smart choice. Almost 3,000 years ago, King Solomon compiled the book of Proverbs, and he shows us very clearly in there, look, foolishness is a source of suffering. I'm just going to run through some of this for you. He says, the waywardness of simple, the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. The wise store of knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. Bring it on. <laughs> the lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. A foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the mother who bore him. The lips of the fools bring them strife. Their mouths invite a beating and much, much more. Do you see a pattern here that, that foolishness brings destruction, shame, ruin to self and others, death, harm, a ruined home, grief, bitterness, and punishment? It's like God's Word is screaming out to us, stop wondering where so much of this suffering is coming from. It's here. If we refuse to live by wisdom, we should absolutely expect to bring unnecessary suffering to ourselves and to others. If we refuse to live by wisdom, we should absolutely expect to bring unnecessary suffering to ourselves and others. 
Wisdom simply says, look, there's a smart way to live life, or there's your way. There's my way. There's foolishness. We might define it as a self-centered and unguided life. Proverbs 28, 26 says this, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Look, it seems a little bit on the nose to go, hey, God's really smart and we're not, but there it is, right there in the Bible. (laughs) Where does foolishness come from? I mean, foolishness is this major source and this magnet for unnecessary suffering. How do we find foolishness? What is it? It's a self-centered and unguided life. It's just trust in myself. The second source of unnecessary suffering that the Bible discusses extensively is sin. Yeah, it's that uncomfortable word that represents the places where we have ignored or turned against God's commandments. Now, you might say not all foolishness is sin. I mean, a lot of foolishness is just being stupid, right? (laughs) Jesus talked about the foolish man who built a house on the sand, right? And that guy experienced suffering. As soon as the floods came, it wiped out his house, But he didn't experience suffering because he broken God's commandments, just because he ignored what was wise, just because he was stupid. So not all foolishness is sin, but every choice to sin is foolish. Every decision to sin is unwise. Sinning is simply going against God's will or disobeying God's commands. It's when God wants one thing in our lives and we choose another. And much like foolishness, the Bible doesn't beat around the bush when it talks about the suffering that sin has brought and does bring. Foolishness can be bad, but sin? Oh, it's the worst. If it weren't for sin, I don't even think any of us would know what suffering is. When God first created the world, when He formed the first man and woman in hand, by hand, They knew no shame, no worry, no struggle, no pain, no suffering, and no death. These things did not exist, but they were given the gift of choice. They could choose to love. They could choose to worship the God who made them. And for any choice to be genuine, there must be the freedom to not choose, right? You're not really choosing to love unless you truly have the option to choose not to love. You're not really choosing to obey unless you have the ability to choose not to obey. And so in Genesis chapter 3, you can read this story. Everything was perfect for Adam and Eve, but God gave them the option to choose something else. You don't like perfect, I'll give you a choice. He simply gave them one of many, many trees that they had available to them and said, don't eat from this one. Now, I don't know, but I don't think that this was some super secret dangerous tree. I don't think it was a tree that was full of darkness and harm and all that kind of stuff. I think it was just God saying, look, everything here is good. It's just the way I designed it. It'll last that way as long as you want to put me, its creator, and yours first. But if you don't, I'm going to give you a choice. If you want to choose your own way, here, just let me know by disobeying the one rule that I'm giving you. 
And for a short while, for two chapters in the Bible out of 1,200, there is no sin. But sin shows up in chapter 3. And God tells them the result. Adam, Eve, meet suffering. Work is going to be hard for you. It's not going to be as enjoyable as it should be. The ground is cursed. It's not going to produce fruit the way it used to. Oh, but it will produce weeds. It will produce thorns. Childbirth, the joy of bringing someone into the world, is going to be filled with agony. A relationship the woman is supposed to have with the man is supposed to be great and perfect, but there's going to be a dynamic there where the husband will rule over the wife, even though they were created as equals and partners. And then he says, oh, and death, by the way, is going to enter into the picture. I formed you out of the dust. Now to the dust you will return. Sin got suffering started in our world, and sin continues to produce it. Remember, sin is a foolish thing to choose, right? So it already brings all of those other terrible consequences we just read about in Proverbs. But sin is even worse. Galatians 6, 8 says, Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. So stuff that isn't dying is going to be on its way, and everything else will just die. <laughs> Romans 6.23 very famously tells us that the wages of sin is death. I mean, frankly speaking, sin is what makes the world such a broken place. It generates suffering during life. It pulls people away from the truth, away from God's blessings, away from God's plans, and then it kills. And even after death, sin will continue to cause suffering and separation for those who did not choose to live for God. Sin is the most serious source of unnecessary suffering. Foolishness and sin. If you aren't a fan of suffering, focus here. <laughs> get rid of foolishness. Get rid of sin in your life and you will see an incredible difference. God's word calls us to replace foolishness with wisdom and to replace sin with obedience. And the Bible's been saying this for thousands of years. And not just like, hey, be wise. Hey, obey. No, the Bible spells out in specific detail what wisdom looks like, what obedience looks like. It's like somebody, somebody took the secrets of the whole universe and just wrote them all down. You want to know how to avoid all the suffering that people experience just from making bad decisions? I got a book for you. You want to, you want to avoid the pain and frustration that happens when you are living your life well outside of what it's designed to be living for? That's written down too. It's in the same book. Seems too simple. Seriously. The remedy for so much unnecessary suffering is all just in one place. Yep. <laughs> There's stuff in there about finances. There's stuff in there about relationships, about family, about work, about attitudes, about actions, about God, and about people, about this life, and about the next. I mean, over and over and over again, we see God telling us, don't choose unnecessary suffering. I will show you a better way. 
and he shows how instead to live by wisdom and obedience if we will take the time to learn. We often have a choice when it comes to suffering. Not always. Again, I want to be sensitive to that. But often we do. And when we have a choice, God's word will first tell us don't choose to suffer unnecessarily. But then there's a second message we will find as well. And we saw it earlier in our unpopular, non-coffee mug friendly passage from 2 Timothy. That second message is this. Do choose to suffer for the sake of Christ. Choose to suffer. Not words we are used to hearing. For the sake of Christ. Now, if you'll remember, Paul invites Timothy into suffering. He says, don't be ashamed of the gospel or of me. Rather, join me in suffering. Suffer for the good news about Jesus Christ. Suffer with me by the power of God. And though we see that invitation very briefly in the passage we read in chapter 1, it's something that Paul finds important enough that he comes back to it and spends even more time on it in chapter 2. So let's read verses 1 through 3 there. He says to Timothy there, You then, my son, be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Here it comes again. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So here's his message. Be strong and suffer with me. Does anyone want to hear that message? Jesus loves you, but it's going to (laughs) hurt. We don't like that part so much. Not a crowd pleaser. It's not the thing that's going to pack the seats in your church on Sunday. But it is true. Do we want to know the truth or not? I know we all love the Jesus that teaches, you know, hey, let the little children come to me. Matter of fact, let anyone who is weary and heavy laden come to me, and I will give you rest, and I will take your burden on my shoulders. We love that, Jesus. But what about the same Jesus who said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. How about again that same Jesus who tells us that the way to gain his life is to lose our own for his sake? Or how about that same Jesus who tells us whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me? Now, it seems to me that it's quite normal for the Christian life to include suffering. It seems to me that Jesus himself was very upfront about teaching about that in advance, saying, look, you will face external opposition. People are going to reject you. They're going to persecute you if you look like me, because that's what they did to me. And when he described what following him is like, He said, the best description I have for you is it's like laying your life down. It's denying yourself so that you can live for me. You are going to have to push past something inside of you as well. There will be this internal resistance 
that you need to push past. So Paul didn't make up this invitation to suffer thing. Jesus himself said, look, the reward is absolutely worth it. But make no mistake, this journey I'm inviting you on also comes at great cost. Suffering for the sake of Christ is a, is a real thing. It's not a popular thing. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. It seems crazy to choose suffering, but it's a real thing that real followers of Christ are told to expect as a normal part of a Christian journey. Here's how we can define it. Suffering for the sake of Christ is continuing to hold on or to move forward in obedience to God, even when doing so causes significant personal loss, pain, or cost. I'll say that one more time. Suffering for the sake of Christ is continuing to hold on or to move forward in obedience to God, even when doing so causes significant personal loss pain, or cost. Now, if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus today and you have never heard about the cost or about the suffering that's involved, please allow me to apologize on behalf of those who didn't give you the whole story. You should know what you believe. In Luke 14, Jesus himself teaches that being a disciple is a costly endeavor. You can read the whole chapter. He teaches on it extensively there. We'll just read a portion today. But he says it's a costly endeavor that each one of us should consider the true cost before we begin. He says, look, a builder needs to know he can finish the job before he even starts it. He says a king needs to know he can win a war before he even enters it. And you, you've got to know what you're getting into at the beginning. And Jesus concludes that teaching by bringing it home. He says, what are you getting into? Let me tell you. And I'll read it from the message paraphrase. He says this, simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Again, if you didn't know, I'm sorry. <laughs> But for many of us, that's not the problem. The problem for us is this. We have heard this. We have read this. We do know that Jesus taught some hard things too. We just think he's mainly talking to other people. <laughs> or, or we think that the suffering uh, for the sake of Christ that is talked about, we just think it's the same as any other kind of suffering. Let's avoid that at all costs. In short, many of us don't see ourselves in these verses. And if that's the case, then, then here's what we start to expect. We say, well, we expect a faith that makes life easier and, and never harder. We expect a God who removes suffering, but never one who would ask us to walk through suffering, leaning on His strength. And we expect a faith that is more about our comfort than it is about our transformation. And with those kinds of expectations, you know, we, we expect this easy faith, free of suffering. We can start to manufacture the faith that we wanted to believe in. How? Very simple. Uh, we plug into the aspects of our faith, right, in all, all sorts of ways, individually, corporately. I mean, we, we, we establish our relationship with God, uh, with God's people. Uh, we learn, we worship, we serve, we pray, we show up, we wear jewelry with a cross on it. But... There is one thing we just don't do. 
we just don't suffer. We don't allow our faith to get too costly. That's where we just draw the line. So, so if our faith would put a certain relationship at risk, let's just be quiet about our faith in that relationship. Or if our faith actually produces a struggle somewhere, we might find a way to get out of that circumstance. Or if our faith is going to produce real-world costs, I mean real money, real time, we know how to avoid that too. We just keep practicing our faith without giving real money or real time. Easy. Easy. If a command in Scripture requires that we become a different person than we are today, that, that we give up our anger or, or we give up uh, the using our language the way we feel like using our language to, to tear others down or to divide people, if something requires that we, we honor our God and not our own passions with our sexuality, well, that just follows a similar pattern. We figured that out. I mean, changing who I am deep down, that's not going to happen without some real pain, some real loss. So I know what to do. I will just keep practicing my faith. I will keep loving Jesus, and I will keep drawing the line whenever God's will might possibly call me to that kind of suffering. It's not that we haven't heard. It's more like we haven't liked what we've heard. Just so we're clear, that's not the faith that Jesus called you into. The real deal is going to require suffering. It's going to require continuing to hold on or move forward in obedience to God, even when doing so causes significant loss, pain, or cost. Now, those two terms that I've given you, hold on or move forward, they're in there because what is required of us might look a little bit different depending on where our suffering is coming from. If we are facing external opposition, if other people set themselves up against us or, or the, the devil just decides to make life miserable for us as we are earnestly walking with God, the biblical picture there is to hold on, hold on, stand your ground, rely on the strength that God gives you. Don't give up doing God's will. Don't give up being who God's called you to be. Don't quit when that happens. Hold on. But when we are facing internal resistance, and we'll see this a lot, right? The internal resistance, really where the enemy is, our own laziness or our own pride or our own greed or our own comfort that are standing in the way of us obeying God. There's some suffering that's going to take to get through that too because that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about denying yourself or dying to yourself. You've got you've to press through that and that's going to hurt to do that. But the call there is not to hold on. Don't stick it out and go, yeah, I need to stay here. No, the call there is you need to move forward. You need to move forward in obedience. We want you to know what you believe. We want you to live what you believe too. And if you're a follower of Jesus, there's first of all just all this good news about suffering. You can know that God has provided you everything you could possibly need to minimize all the suffering that comes from our own misguided choices. It is his great desire to rid us of the foolishness and the sin that cause an incredible amount of suffering to enter this world. That is amazing news. But if we are to truly know and live out what we believe, then we will also understand a more difficult truth as well that even the best life we could live here will be no picnic. It'll still cost us dearly. 
Now, it's not a popular message, right? It's not the message. It's not a message that ends there either, though. I mean, we're not going to come here and go, dear everyone, life's going to be terrible. Now, let's close in prayer. No, we have, we have a better ending than that, too. It actually ends with a promise. God's word tells us this. It will be worth it. It will be worth it more than anything has ever been worth anything. And as much as we might hate suffering, I think this one promise really speaks to us. It's like the one thing that could go, okay, maybe that suffering's okay. <laughs> right? If that, when it's all over, we could somehow look back and say, that was worth it. That was worth it. We, we do see this a little bit in our lives. Athletes go through a whole lot of suffering. They train, they hurt, they ache. Some people never stop aching from the training they're going through, and, but they do it so that they can gain in strength, so they can compete well, so that they can win and see victory, right? All of us who have been in the working world know that the first job or set of jobs that you get, that's kind of like suffering, you get the worst job with the worst pay, the worst schedule, the worst benefits. You get the worst. But you don't take it because you love the worst. You take it because you know there's something on the other side of that. And that leads into the next step and the next step and the next step where it's going to be worth it. Mothers. Mothers know about childbirth. <laughs> they know that exists. The word is out, folks. There's no secret there. And yet they make the decision to have children anyway. Why? Because they know it'll be worth it. And this is God's promise to us over and over in his word. Yes, even walking hand in hand with your creator through this life, it'll still bring you through suffering. But that's not the goal. That is not the aim. That is not the end. If it's unnecessary again, God's going to say, don't go there. I don't want you to go through that path. But the invitation is really about what's on the other side of the pain, the loss, the hardship. This is God's word being honest with us about what following him in this life will really look like and then calling us through the hard stuff so we will see the blessings and look back and go, I wouldn't have done it another way. What well, ends with some of that promise that we see. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 says this. This is a trustworthy saying. You can hold on to this one. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. Let's pray. Father God, you know what each of us here needed to hear today. Some of us are still filling our lives up with suffering that is completely unnecessary. And we needed to hear your spirit speaking to us about the foolish or even sinful choices that we need to change in our lives. For others, we focused so much on avoiding all the suffering we can that 
we've, we've avoided suffering at all in our faith. There, Lord, we needed to hear from you about how to get back on the path that you've called us to. About the places where it's really time to start denying ourselves and seeking your strength in the places where we need to keep holding on. God, help the seeds that were planted here today grow to produce good and godly fruits in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.